We're excited today to bring to you message number seven in this series called Sent. I want to pick up in the same vein that I was flowing in last Sunday when we talked about missional expectations. So today is actually missional expectations two, number two, but it's number seven in the series called Sent, where we're dealing with the importance of the local church, the purpose of God, which he purposed in Christ Jesus before the world began, is what the scripture says in Ephesians chapter 3, the eternal purpose of God. And so that purpose is a many-membered body out of every nation, kindred, tribe, and tongue, a group of people who didn't earn or deserve their place in terms of being called sons and daughters of God. They recognize that they didn't work for it, that it is an eternal gift. It is a gift that has given to us. The scripture says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God. Everybody say the gift of God. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Our text this morning is found in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. We are going to, um, by the grace of God, cover Paul's third missionary journey which will be from Acts 19 through 26. So we're going to be hitting seven chapters. Now remember, this is a flyover series. It's not a go deep down the rabbit hole series. We're not going uh, verse by verse, certainly. We're just, we're flying over these chapters. We're looking into the lives of the apostles. We're seeing that there are principles there that we can glean from them recognizing that they were the first generation of sent ones. They were special, apostello. They were the, the, those that were the eyewitnesses of the resurrection. But now we are witnesses to his resurrection as well because he has made us alive. We are alive in Christ. If that's you, say amen. And so this morning we remember that we are a people of God called out to influence. We are here to serve the purpose of God, which is called the kingdom of God. So this morning, Acts chapter 1, verse 8 is our text. The scripture says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, if you're joining us this morning for the first time here live or online, thank you for those of you that are online for logging in and being with us here in our live service today. I, I don't have time to go back and lay the foundation that I have in the six previous messages. Uh, there's a lot of great stuff in that, and it's all free. I would encourage you to check that out at victorywired.com. Certainly all of our platforms, uh, Facebook, Live, uh, YouTube, it goes up on that after this. By the end of, I believe, next month, uh, we're going to be purchasing a new platform that will give us the ability to broadcast live to all of those because some people prefer one over the other. I preach with what I call one thing. One thing is this, the, the point that I revisit through the message so that you grasp this and get this central idea. If you don't get anything else, then it's my faith in, in God's grace in your heart and your hearing and for his, his grace to give me the ability to be clear so that you grab this point as you leave. This is the one thing. Let's say this this morning. Sent ones learn to walk with God by listening and responding, speaking and acting, believing and receiving all that God provides for his kingdom delegates. So 
God has graced us. It is a grace gift, the things that we're talking about. But we must reach out in faith and take hold of them. He speaks, but I must listen. Okay? He provides, but I must trust for his grace gift. Are you following me this morning? So there is a cooperation as a sent one, as a duly authorized kingdom representative. I remember, and if you were here last Sunday, we said that we must always remember that God is for us, God is with us, and God is in us. You remember that? Okay. Now, now that you're kind of with me, we're all sort of getting tuned in together. Uh, would, you, would you look at one of the sides of the, of the wall and let's read this out loud heartily. Come on, here we go. Sent ones learn to walk with God by listening and responding, speaking and acting, believing and receiving all that God provides for his kingdom delegates. Look at your neighbor and say, that's us. All right, let's bow our hearts together for a word of prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for this worship in the presence of the Holy Spirit who is with us, this amazing team, Lord, these hungry hearts in this congregation today, those that are listening far and wide. God, we pray today that you would give us ears that hear, eyes that see, hearts that understand. We need you. We're desperate for you. God, we, we know that everything that we have is all because of you. It's not of ourselves, not of works, lest any of us should ever boast. We're careful to give the praise and glory. We ask you, O oh God, to move in this place and transform our lives by the word of God through the spirit of God. It's in Jesus' name that we pray and all of God's people said, amen. All right, they're going to put up on the walls this morning a picture of the, the map of the third missionary journey. Begins in Acts chapter 19 and runs through Acts 26. There's some who label his journey to Rome as the fourth missionary journey, and it certainly could be. Um, but what we're c concentrating on this morning is that he is beginning in Antioch. There's a powerful church there in Syria that was birthed. And it's literally a travelogue. As he travels through here, he will mention the areas of Cilicia and Cappadocia. Up here is Galatia. You know the book of Galatians in your New Testament. Now, there's not just one church there. There are multiple churches in this whole province, okay? All of these are part of what the, the Scripture refers to as Asia Minor. Today, that whole section is called Turkey, okay? Um, as you move on up over here, you see Thrace, uh, which is moving above that into the area of today is Bulgaria, and above that is Romania. Here you will have the area, what happened to my, I turned it off, okay? Uh, as he moves over to Thessalonica and Berea, we're in the area of what's known as Macedonia, which is northern Greece, okay? So to give you a little bit of an understanding of what we're talking about, uh, in the scriptures, we're, we're using all these old world, ancient Mediterranean names. Uh, we're talking about Greece, which is here, and then Turkey, which is this whole large area here. Now, this is still called Syria, and obviously Israel is still called Israel. But he moves through here and through a number of these places in uh, Asia Minor or in Turkey and heads on up over into Macedonia, turns and comes back down the coast through the Aegean Sea, back over into Achaia, all the way back up to Berea again, where he basically backtracks and comes back. You'll see two lines there, and over the Aegean Sea, and then back through all the way back to, and ends up in Jerusalem down below. I think you can see it probably a little bit better on this one over here. Where is my dot? I guess it's, the battery's wearing out. 
Okay, so Jerusalem is just above Judea down there at the very bottom. So we're, we're looking at a period historically that's from about 54 to 58 AD. So 54, 55, 56, 57, 55 years, okay? Five-year period of which Paul spends two of that in Ephesus, another one of the books of the Scripture you find in the New Testament, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philippi's up north. All of these are letters that Paul wrote to these churches that he was instrumental in establishing. Some of them he planted directly, some of them uh, by others, and then he had obviously influence in their lives. Uh, he's through, he goes through Corinth, to which he writes two letters to. But I want you to see that this morning. As we look at this, we're going to be drawing principles from Paul's missionary journey that we can see operating in our lives as sent ones, as kingdom delegates. The church, Victory Church, is sent to Marion and West Memphis. It's sent to the tri-state area. It's sent to the United States. It's sent to the whole world because we're seeing a pattern that began in Acts 1.8. He says, after the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. The ends of the earth, the newer translations say. And I gave you the illustration of dropping a pebble into a pond, and you start to see the concentric circles ripple out from there. When you began with the, the new creation of God in your life, it began to affect something dramatically, very quickly. But as you continue to walk with the Lord, the Spirit of God and the Word of God and, it, and the effects in your life continue to ripple out where there was chaos. Now God is bringing order into your family, uh, into your relationships. Uh, possibly maybe someone seeing the Lord moving and getting a, a stability into your finance. That's how the kingdom of God works. It begins, it begins as a tiny mustard seed, but then it grows up into a substantial plant or as the woman who hid the yeast in the, the whole bowl of, of flour, but eventually the yeast takes over the whole bowl. So the kingdom of God is alive like yeast is alive, and it starts small, but it gets big. God thinks globally, but he acts locally. So the principle is, is that we think big, but we start small. Say it, say, think big, but start small. And so you want to see a change affected in your life in a particular area, don't try to bite off everything all at once, but take, begin to take incremental steps. That's how the kingdom of God operates, okay? And as we continue to grow, we grow from faith to faith, from glory to glory, 2 Corinthians 3.18. Uh, Psalm 84 says we go from strength to strength. You get stronger and stronger. Your faith grows more and more. The glory of God begins to move into more and more areas of your lives. Somebody say amen. All right, things that we want to quickly grab a hold of this morning is that sent ones understand there will always be. This is the preface to every one of these points. Sent ones always understand, or the sent ones understand there will always be, number one, a response to the gospel. You cannot remain neutral about the message Paul said in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. To the Jew first and also to the Greek, he says, for herein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. Okay? 
So as we, we grow in the gospel, it's not just a guarantee of a home in heaven, but it starts to have implications into every area in my life. Okay? There's always going to be a response to the gospel. We open up Acts chapter 19, and we first of all see in the first seven verses that Paul approaches some disciples that he finds, and he asks them about receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and they didn't even know anything about it. And he asked them about uh, the baptism in water that they received, and they said, well, all we really know about is John's baptism. And so he opened the scriptures, brought clarity to the gospel, told them fully about this one who was to come, which is Jesus the Messiah. He laid hands upon them. The Holy Spirit of God fell. They spoke in tongues. It was the, the declaration of God's continuation Uh, of advancing and growing his family. There was a reception of the gospel. They heard it. They received it. There was a transformation that took place. But as you continue to read, verse 8 says, and I don't have this on the screen, so just listen. Then Paul went to the synagogue and preached boldly for the next three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. Okay? Now, he's preaching the gospel. He's talking about God's reign. It says, but some became stubborn. Everybody say stubborn. And it says, rejecting his message and publicly speaking against the way. So Paul left the synagogue and took the believers with him. It says that they moved to another place. They went on about, this went on about two years. He's in Ephesus. It says, so that people throughout the province of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. Now, as a sent one, when you share... The, the, the truth and the power of the gospel, just know this. There will be people who receive it. There will be people who reject it. You can't get upset. You need to know that it's the Holy Spirit's responsibility and not yours. Everybody say this out loud. I am not the Holy Spirit. It's not, it's not my job to convict people of sin or of righteousness, either one. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. All you do is live a life and take a message that people can grab a hold of and understand. Some will receive it and some will reject it. Somebody say amen. Now, further beyond that, there is a manifestation. There is is a confirmation. The Bible says in verse 11, God gave Paul the power to perform unusual miracles. Now, I just want to say this. That's not something everybody's going to walk in. Everybody's not even called to that. But I want to tell you that wherever you are, you don't ever have to be afraid to pray and trust God to show up and answer a prayer in your life. For the person that you're ministering to, if they're an unbeliever, God loves to answer the prayers of unbelievers to demonstrate who he is and show his power and show himself mighty and strong. And when you show people that your trust is in God, when you clearly show the gospel by a life lived and by a message that is spoken, when you pray and that person opens their heart, I promise you God will show up and show out. Don't ever doubt it. And every answered prayer is a miracle. Somebody say amen. And the greatest miracle is when someone turns their heart to Jesus Christ and they're born from above, born again. It goes on to talk about the miracles that happened. They literally put handkerchiefs on Paul's body and they would take those handkerchiefs that had been on Paul's body and they would lay them on sick people and then those sick people would get well. That's amazing. That's, that's phenomenal. You know, you, you or maybe some other, someone else that you know may have that kind of thing, a gift of healing operating in your life. But everyone in here can trust a God of miracles for a miracle. He will, when you pray, he will answer your prayers. Somebody say amen. The scripture says a group of Jews 
uh, were traveling from town to town casting out evil spirits. And it says they tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus in their incantation saying, I command you in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches to come out. And this is what I want you to see. Some people saw that when Paul spoke to demon-possessed people, the demons had to obey because he was operating in the authority of Jesus and the power of that name. And the story that happens quickly is uh, about what's referred to as the seven sons of Sceva and a leading priest. They were trying this, and these guys got beat up. How many of you know if you're not operating in the anointing of the Holy Spirit, you need to leave the demon-possessed alone? Now, some of you are looking at me like a cow at a new gate. Now, Pastor, you don't really believe that. Listen, let me tell you something. I have been in a living room with a 120-pound woman that was possessed of the enemy, has, had, had a great deal of spiritual influence that was not positive happening in her life, and it took six men to hold her down. The strength that was operating there was not natural. It was supernatural. And when she was released from that thing and it left her there was just a presence that you could just sense that didn't belong in that room that left the room and she looked like a different person light came into her eyes and her face brightened up and she was free she was set free i want to tell you i i don't just believe in it i've seen it i know that jesus and his power delivers people from demonic oppression and demonic influence somebody say amen these guys tried to do it, and basically the evil spirit said, I know Jesus, and I'm getting to know Paul, but who, who are you? How many of you know if you're not operating in the power of knowing God in a personal relationship and an anointing that demons will obey, guess what? You're not known in hell. Jesus is known in hell. The scripture literally says in the Greek, I, Jesus I know and Paul I'm getting to know, but who are you? And so when we encounter evil, it's important that we're known because we're dressed in God's armor. We're dressed in what Jesus would show up in. Come on, somebody. Say amen. It says, The man with the evil spirit leaped, leapt on them and overpowered them and attacked them with such violence that they fled from the house naked and battered. The stories go on and they're dramatic. There's been a reception. There's been a rejection. There's been a manifestation of miracles. There's been just a confirmation of who Paul is because even the demonic world knew who he was. Verse 17 says, the story of what happened spread quickly through all Ephesus and to the Jews and the Greeks alike. A solemn fear descended on the city and the name of the Lord Jesus was greatly honored. God uses stuff like that sometimes to get the attention of people. This extended pandemic has done something for all of us. It's brought back to us, to us a realization of the really, truly important things in our lives. Our family and the people that we love. And a spirit of gratitude for everything that we do have. Because in a materialistic society, it is so easy to get focused on what we don't have and what we wish we had and what we want when we are, everyone, overrun with the blessing of God. Somebody, come on. And the, the scripture says that these, these people were so convicted that they brought all of these books of wickedness and incantations and witchcraft and spells. And the scripture literally says that they were practicing sorcery and they burned the books in a public bonfire. The value of the books was several million dollars according to today's standards. The message about the Lord spread widely and had a powerful effect. Paul felt compelled by the Spirit to go over to Macedonia and Achaia before going to Jerusalem. Before he does that, there's the confrontation. 
The scripture says that there was serious trouble began to develop in Ephesus concerning the way. Demetrius, who was a silversmith, he had a factory where he was churning out little small handmade idols that the people worshipped as gods. And because the effect of the gospel under the leadership of the, of the apostle Paul was so powerful in this city, it was a city that was given to Diana. Uh, which one of them is a Roman name, the other one is the Greek name. Depending on the translation you use, they, they went into a two-hour incantation of shouting, Great is Diana of the Ephesians, or Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And Demetrius began to spread rumors about Paul and all of these guys that were with him preaching this gospel because the folk quit showing up buying these little handmade take-it-home worship these false gods because they all of a sudden got introduced to the true and living God, to, to this Jesus Christ who is Lord of all. Come on, somebody, put your hands together and give the Lord praise. He says, gentlemen, you know that our wealth comes from this business. How many of you know the gospel eventually touched not only your money, but everybody out there that's, that's conning folk? And they don't like it. And so confrontation comes, and they stir up a riot. It says, this man Paul has persuaded many people that our handmade gods aren't really gods at all. How many of you know when the gospel impacts your life, all of a sudden the things that you've been paying homage to all of a sudden just begin to melt? You realize what is important. Come on, somebody. Sent ones learn to walk with God by listening and responding, speaking and acting, by believing and receiving all that God provides for his kingdom delegates. My second point this morning is that sent ones will understand that there will always be a compelling vision. A compelling vision. We heard about it in the previous chapter where Paul was arguing persuasively concerning the kingdom of God. And certainly, uh, Paul's vision was, was centralized on the gospel of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. The first few verses of Acts chapter 20, they find out that there's some Jews who have plotted to kill Paul. And so, they bring the word to him, and it's a miraculous intervention. Paul is saved, and he heads another direction, heads to Macedonia. He turns, he goes to Troas, and it was going to be his last time for being there, and he's in that place preaching. And I, I, as a preacher, I, I love this story because Paul waxed eloquent. He preached for about five hours. As a matter of fact, he preached well past midnight. They're up in a, a, a third-story building, and there's a young boy named Eutychus who is sitting in a windowsill, and he goes to sleep, and he's leaning against the windowsill, and the window's open. And about midnight, Eutychus falls backward out the window, three stories, and tumbles down to his death. It ends the message dramatically. They all run out of the building, go down. Paul grabs him up, and literally, Paul raises this young man from the dead. He says, don't, no fear, he is alive. And he takes him by the hand and picks him up, Paul says, no, no, I'm not finished. And he preaches some more. How do you like that? I guess if you raise somebody from the dead, they'll listen to what you're going to finish your message. <laughs> so Paul raises him from the dead, and he leaves them, and everybody's rejoicing that all is well. Paul opens his heart, and he begins to share with the people about everything that he's done. He calls for the Ephesian elders to come to him. And he says to them, you know that from the day I set foot in the province of Asia until now, I have done the Lord's work humbly and with many tears. I have endured the trials that came to me from the plots of the Jews. Plots, plural. 
He says, I never shrank back from telling you what you needed to hear either publicly or in your homes. I've had one message for Jews and Greeks alike, the necessity of repenting from sin and turning to God and of having faith in our Lord Jesus. Somebody say amen. He says, and now I am bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me except that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. Think about this. How many of us who had a glimpse of the future and what God had before us, and we knew that it would be persecution, it would be trials, it would be jail time, would we still forge ahead because we had a vision that was so compelling that we knew that if I even endured temporary trouble that God would get the ultimate victory? How many of us would forge ahead? Paul has a compelling vi vision that carries him through all the stuff that he knows he's about to deal with. He says, but my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Everybody say the grace of God. He says, I know that I am uh, none of you to whom I've preached the kingdom will ever see me again. This will be the last time we see each other. He says, I declare to you today that I have been faithful. If anyone suffers eternal death, it's not my fault. He says, for I didn't shrink back from declaring all that God wants you to know. King James says, I have given you the whole counsel of God's word. You know what? When you have a spiritual leader that won't back up and is not afraid to speak to things sometimes that are controversial, that is not afraid to give us a clear contrast between light and dark, between black and white, and I'm just talking about colors here, I'm not talking about... Uh, some of the issues that we're having in our nation right now between that's racial tension. I'm just talking about the, the contrast between colors, okay? And so I want you to recognize this morning that Paul looks at these people and he gives them future preparation. He says, guys, I'm leaving you, but I'm telling you, guard yourselves and God's people. Feed and shepherd God's flock, his church. Purchased with his own blood over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as leaders, I know that false teachers like vicious wolves will come in among you after I leave, not sparing the flock. Even some men from your own group will rise up and distort the truth in order to draw following. It's crazy what people will do to get on television and get 15 minutes of fame. That's nothing new to that. It's been happening for generations. He says, watch out. Remember the three years I was with you, my constant watch and over you night and day and my many tears of joy. And he says this, and now I entrust you to God and the message of his grace that is able to build you up and give you an inheritance with all those he has set apart for himself. How many are thankful that you're part of that group, that he has called you to be part of those that he set apart for himself? What is our one thing? Sent ones learn to walk with God by listening to the Spirit, by responding, by speaking, by acting, by believing, and by receiving all that God provides for His kingdom delegates. My third point this morning is that sent ones recognize and understand there will always be a different perspective. I see things one way. Another brother or sister might see the same thing from a different perspective side or a different perspective. And we need to have a heart of grace and not be so either or oriented. Not be so binary in the sense of this is either this or that. When sometimes God says, no, 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 it's both and. Both of you are right. Okay? 
Two guys climbing up different sides of the mountain describe the terrain they're seeing, and they write a book about it, and they argue and say, no, 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 you're, you're, you're wrong. I know what I saw. And both of them are right because they were coming up different sides of this massive mountain. And I think truth is that way sometimes. We have to stop and learn to listen to others who bring us a different perspective. The story that's here is the fact that there are a number of people who believe that Paul shouldn't be taking this journey to head on into Jerusalem. As a matter of fact, verse 10 says, Several days later a man named Agabus, who also had the gift of prophecy, arrived from Judea. He came over, took Paul's belt, King James says his girdle, okay, and he bound his own feet. Agabus took Paul's belt and he, he bound his own hands and feet with it. And it says, then he said, the Holy Spirit declares, he prophesies, so shall the owner of this belt be bound by the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem and turned over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the local believers all begged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. But he said, why all this weeping? You're breaking my heart. I'm ready not only to be jailed at Jerusalem, but even to die for the sake of the Lord Jesus. When it was clear that we couldn't persuade him, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. Now, this is the thing that I want you to hear this morning, and I'm bringing this message down to a close. But that is, there are some things about your life that you can't turn to a chapter and a verse in the Bible to get direction on. You have to learn how to listen and be led by the Spirit of God. Romans 8.14 says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the mature sons of God. Okay? And that's not a gender-specific thing. Ladies, you're called sons of God, just like we men are part of what's called the bride of Christ. These are just metaphors. It's just an analogy. But the, the, in the ancient Hebrew uh, people, uh, the son in the house was the one who was the next in line. He, he had the authority of the father. He had the ability to do business. So when we are called mature sons, able to do and conduct kingdom business, it's saying that whether you're male or female, that you're mature in Christ now, and, and you can take all of these gifts of God in the name of Jesus and the authority as a kingdom delegate, and you can affect change in the earth. You can influence people for the sake of the gospel. Somebody say amen. Now, who was right here? Was, was Paul right to forge ahead? He's going to end up in jail. He already knew that. Was Agabus wrong to warn Paul not to go? Because Agabus was clearly seeing by the Spirit he had a gift of prophecy. And this is what I want you to remember. When, when God opens your eyes and shows you something, be very careful about how you form a conclusion based on what you see. Because truly, both of these were right. Paul was right because he already knew that ahead of him was trial and tribulation and jail time and bondage. Agabus was not wrong. He saw by the Spirit, he took Paul's girdle and very dramatically, basically had kind of a, a, a theatrical uh, demonstration of what he was saying. The owner of this belt will be bound by the Jews and handed over to the Gentiles. And that's exactly what happened. Who was wrong? Neither one of them were wrong. They were both right. So when we feel like we have some direction of the Holy Spirit, let's back up a moment and walk in some humility on how we bring that to a conclusion and basically pr pronounce over someone's life. Someone's making a critical decision and you see something ahead. Maybe it's the will of God. They go in and walk through that and, and learn something and then come out victorious on the other side. 
You know, we just, I'm not saying don't speak it. I'm just saying be careful how you speak it. It's important as leaders. It's important as kingdom men and women of God. We can see things. We can, we can be in touch with the Spirit, and we want to be humble. We want to we walk in God's grace and God's favor. Somebody say amen. The church in Jerusalem hears the report of all that is going on in God in Paul's ministry, and he's excited. The Jews stir up a bunch of accusations and give a bunch of rumors about Paul that are not true, and they begin to plot in Jerusalem to take his life. Paul's not afraid because he knows that sent ones learn to walk with God by listening and responding, by speaking and acting, by believing and receiving all that God provides for his kingdom delegates. Last point and I'm finished, and this is just, you're not going to believe this, but this covers five chapters right here. When you read 22 through 26, it's basically Paul giving his testimony over and over and over. He, he goes back and he tells the story. How he was persecuting Christians. He was trained in the finest schools at the feet of the, the greatest PhDs of Jewish law. And he was persecuting everybody who was called a Christian. Everybody that was of this thing called the way. He was doing everything that he could to snuff out this influence of this Jesus of Nazareth. And... He's on a Damascus road and a light shines from heaven and Jesus appears to him and he says, Paul, Paul, or rather Saul was his name at the time. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he has a dramatic life-changing experience and his ministry begins. And as you open Acts chapter 22, he, he stands before a whole Jerusalem crowd and he, he tells them the history of Israel and he preaches how God brought Jesus to bear and he took away the sins of the world. They're about to have a riot, and so they grab him up and take him before the high council. He gives his testimony again. He's turned over to the, to the civil authorities, to, to the governor of the province, and his name is Felix, Governor Felix. Felix listens to Paul's testimony. He gives it again. I mean, when you read through this section of Acts, it's almost like, okay, here we go again. It's almost like when you read the Gospels and you go, wait a minute, I just read that story. Well, yeah, you did it in Matthew because it appears in Mark and it also appears in Luke. What's my point? The most powerful tool you have in your hand, in your life, is to get a grip on what God has done in your life and tell people about it. The most powerful testimony, the most powerful thing you have as a tool to advance the kingdom of God and to influence people for the sake of the gospel is to very simply say, I once was, but now I'm. You fill in the blanks. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was an addict, but now I'm set free. I was, but now I'm. Because that's the whole work of the gospel. God takes you and loves you just like you are, but he loves you too much to leave us like we are. And he changes us and he transforms us and all things pass away and all things become new. And now we are a new creation in Christ. We have a new, a new identity out of which we live. Hallelujah. Paul gives his testimony before a Jewish crowd in the high council. He stands before a governor's Felix, and finally, Felix's term is over, and here comes a new governor by the name of Festus. This is happening over two years, and Paul is in prison, but he's still affecting people for the sake of the kingdom of God. Now, I don't know about you, but most folk, if they were bound, they would be in a state of depression. I don't know what your circumstance is right now, but don't waste it. 
you, you may be bound in a, in a set of limitations that you didn't choose. Or the circumstances you may face may be because of a choice you've made. Even in the middle of that, no matter how difficult it is, you can still find joy. You can still find hope. Come on, somebody. Hope is so powerful, it will change your life. It will set a vision in front of you that will be compelling. It will, it will help you remember that God has called you to something greater. And the moment that you're in won't last. It too shall pass. I'm preaching so much better than y'all are acting this morning. He preached finally before King Agrippa. And he, Agrippa was so moved, he said, uh, he was almost persuaded to become a Christian. Another translation says, no, no, wait, Paul, you're not going to get me that fast. You think you can convince me that quickly? Because Agrippa was getting uncomfortable. He sent Paul away. And in that last time he talked with Agrippa, he said, you know what? I'm a Roman citizen and I appeal to the emperor. Paul had a vision that was so big that he believed that he could actually stand before the Caesar, that he could go to Rome and that he could give his testimony and he could speak some words that would shake the whole Roman Empire. And you talk about faith, folk. You talk about people who have the ability to, to do something great for God. When you don't back up in the face of fear, God will put you in front of powerful people that will blow your mind. And in that moment, you have a compelling vision and you remember that there's always a response to the gospel. Some are going to receive it and some are going to reject it. Sent ones always understand that. Sent ones learn to walk with God by listening and responding, by speaking and by acting, by believing and receiving all that God provides for his kingdom delegates. Paul is determined that this gospel is going to touch the emperor and shake the whole Roman Empire. Wow. I, I love that. Talk about boldness. Folk, you have that. Oh, pastor, you don't know me. You, just, you don't know the mistakes I've made. You don't know what I'm going through. You don't know how I grew up. And, and, and I'm, I'm nothing. I'm nobody. I was told I would never be anything. Guess what? You are, you are material, ripe, and picked by God himself to, for him to show up in your life and show out in a way that it can only be the glory of God, only be the grace of God operating in your life. If you can just grab a hold of the power of your testimony. Because nobody can argue. They can argue theological principles. They can argue systems of ideas. But when you just stop and say, I once was, but now I'm. Nobody can argue with that. And something comes alive in you when you start sharing. There's a passion. There's a connection to another human being that is a spirit-to-spirit -spirit thing when you stop and just say, this is what the Lord has done in my life. That's what the, the demoniac, the guy with legions of demons in him from, the, from Decapolis, from the Ten Cities area in Israel, he, he went by saying, look what the Lord has done in my life. Revelation 12, 11, I'm closing. The scripture says, they overcame the evil one by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. Paul did it over and over and over. I was traveling with a pocket full of warrants trying to put Christians in jail and a light shined on the Damascus road and he, he told it to a crowd, he told it to the council, he told it to two governors, he told it to King Agrippa and eventually he stands before the emperor and he goes to Rome because he won't quit. You trust God, you work hard, 
You never quit. You hear me say that all the time. That's part of my family ethos. It's been three generations. It's been drilled into my life. Trust God, first thing. That's the priority. Trust God. Put your hope and your trust in God. Work hard. Work hard. Work toward it. Take steps of faith. Take action. Don't just... Don't just sit there. The farmer doesn't just take seeds and speak it into existence. He gets out out there and plows the rows and plants them in the ground. We don't just believe, but we act, we speak, we declare, we listen, we respond. Because sent ones learn to walk with God by listening and responding, speaking and acting, believing and receiving all that God provides for his kingdom delegates. I'm finished this morning. And I've, I've preached with all of my heart and all of my passion to every circumstance in this room and those that are you that are listening there is no situation that is too difficult for God you've not made a mistake so bad that God says no I don't have time for that God loves every one of you his love is not failing his love does not run out his love is everlasting his love is so great he says I love you this much he stretched out his hands and he died for every one of us he shed his blood for us Shed blood is for the whole world, but it doesn't become effective until it's applied to your heart. There's a difference in shed blood and applied blood. What do you mean? We're not smearing red stuff on us. No, you do it by faith. You just say, Father, forgive my sins. Jesus, save me. I trust you. I believe in your blood sacrifice that you poured out your life for me. Regardless of what you're facing this morning, every person in this room, if you're in a place where you desperately need some encouragement as a believer, heads are bowed. If you would just put your head down, close your eyes, nobody looking around. If you'd just like to say, Pastor, please pray for me. Slip your hand up right now. I want to pray for you. Yes, their hands in every section. This morning, if you've never crossed the line of faith and you would say, Pastor, something has grabbed my heart this morning. I've heard your words, but I I feel the Holy Spirit. I don't know what to call it. I don't know how to describe it, but I feel like my life has been grabbed. He's, he's, He's like tapping me on the shoulder. And you're saying, Pastor, please pray for me. I'm ready to cross that line of faith. If if that's you, slip your hand up right now. Anybody in the room? Thank you. Let's pray, everybody. I want you to pray out loud with me. The whole congregation, let's lift our hearts with these who've raised their hands right now. Father, thank you for this word. I put my trust solely in you not in myself but in what you've done I can't do it on my own I'm not holy enough I'm not strong enough but you are Jesus save me I trust you I turn from my past and I turn to you in faith I ask you forgive me of my sins be Lord of my life Fill me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. And all of God's people said, amen. Let's put our hands together and give the Lord praise this morning. Come on. Amen. Thank you for that word, Pastor. Have you been blessed by this series?